Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. This is episode 74, How to Explain What You're Learning. Now, this is the sixth of seven episodes in our critical thinking series about using the squared method. Critical thinking is a critical component of succeeding in college, but many students have never been taught how to think critically. The squared method outlines seven methods of increasing this skill, summarizing, questioning, unpacking, analyzing, relating, explaining, and defining. In this episode, we're going to talk about explaining what you're learning. Explaining is taking what you've learned and tying it to your own experience by using examples and analogies. Let's say I'm having trouble remembering the differences between a folkway, a moray, and a law. If I could find an example of each in my own experience, it might be easier to remember the differences. So I find a time in my memory when I said a bad word in public. I might have been about six or seven years old. I didn't get violently punished and I didn't go to jail. So that means it was the mildest form of a norm that I broke or a folkway. I got scolded for it. Now I have a concrete example that explains to me what a folkway is. In the same way, I might think of the first time I got pulled over by the police and given a ticket. It was a fairly severe punishment for a 16-year-old and it was formal, not informal. The presence of the police also allows me to associate those characteristics with the law. Now, a moray is a violent response to a norm violation, and if I've never personally experienced one of those, I can still use the process of elimination to remember that mores are the norms that are neither folkways nor laws. By remembering these specific events from my experience and putting those labels on them, I can remember the definition that I wrote for it, and when the exam or paper comes up, I'll have that information at my fingertips. It's not quite memorizing. It's more like associating. This process is similar to relating. In relating, you're explaining one thing by showing how it goes with another to help make the explanation deeper or clearer. In explaining, you're giving yourself mental tricks to remember the material by associating it with your own life experiences, by showing how it goes with your own experiences. Using analogies is another good way of explaining. This thing I'm trying to learn is similar to this other process I already know about. So, relating chemistry experiments to baking cookies helped one of my students finally click on how to understand those experiments. Using the analogy of viral transmission helps many people understand why and how fads became popular and then fade away just as quickly. It's where we get the phrase going viral from. Now, explaining, and you might also think of it as exampling, has been absolutely crucial for me when I'm struggling with a new topic. If I can say, oh, this is like that other thing, then I'm closer to understanding. Learning by analogy has also helped me because it's just a form of exampling. Learning by analogy is when I learned, for example, that many social scientists see society as a machine with parts that interact with each other regularly and repeatedly. Once I had the idea of societies like a machine, I was able to see that in many ways, each person doing their job both affected and was affected by other people doing their jobs. 
And if enough people stop doing their jobs, everything breaks down. Oh, look, a metaphor that comes directly from a machine no longer working. As a teacher, I once taught art students. I had such fun with that because I was able to get them to bring up experiences that they'd had as artists that illustrated, yes, pun totally intended, the concepts we were going over in the class. Material culture, non-material culture, norms, biases. They were able to find examples of these, of each of these in their own lives as artists. And most students in those classes told me they found those discussions fascinating, mainly because it related the concepts they were learning to something they were already deeply interested in. Those discussions led into projects where they investigated the cultural backgrounds and cultural messages in a particular type of art that they loved, and then they reported on them. One student composed a hip-hop piece about the three main types of theory in sociology. It was just a fantastic experience. Similar to Adam, once I learned about early sociology theorists seeing society as a body that works together, that worked as a really good analogy for me to explain the strengths and weaknesses in it. And it gives me a way to make an analogy to other theories. So I ask my students, while structural functionalists see society as this coherent group of interdependent parts, do you think conflict theories or theorists see the world the same way? And correctly, they'll say, no, they don't, because conflict means opposing groups. And typically, conflict means there's a big source of disagreement. Being able to break things down and simplify them allows me to explain complex or really fancy sounding ideas into terms that students can work with. And when I have my students write their term papers, I not only have them define and apply terms from a class, they have to show me exactly how we see a concept in a movie, a documentary, or a social problem, and how that concept can either explain or be used to solve the situation or solve the problem. To me, explaining makes learning a bit more practical and develops a skill of saying, here's what this actually means. Yeah, and you know, now that I'm thinking about that, when you talk about movies and documentaries, um, when I teach social psychology, I always show them a clip from uh, Steel Magnolias, and it's the scene where the main character, who is a diabetic and has just had a baby, and it was in the 80s when that was really dangerous for diabetics, she goes to the local salon where most of the action takes place, and the person who's running the salon is going to give her a manicure, pushes up her long sleeves, and notices all these bruises and you know, marks on the inside of her arms and says, what are you doing? What are you doing to yourself? And it turns out that she's on dialysis now because her kidneys have failed. And there's a lot of things happening in that scene where the older ladies who have known her since she was a little girl are saying things, but they're not saying what they mean. They're implying it. And I've given that to students and I've said, okay, we talked about unspoken messages that are carried by nonverbal communication. I want you to find six examples of that. Students have found 18 or 30 examples of that just in this one little three-minute clip, but they are relating what they know about the world to this specific example, and they're relating what they know about the class to this specific example, and it just it makes it make so much more sense to them when they have examples of what that looks like, and they can call on that when they are taking a test, for example, like what does nonverbal communication look like? Da 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 da. You know, they have to write about it and they'll write. I'll get in the Steel Magnolia scene when Shelby did this and then Clary did that. I saw this unspoken norm being expressed in the way Clary put her hand on Shelby's arm. It's fascinating to see students do that. 
Now, students, here's how you can use this idea. When you're working on something new, see if you can identify a process that you already know, which is similar. So in the case of the student who figured out that chemistry was like baking, they said, oh, the chemicals are the ingredients, and what happens when we mix them over a Bunsen burner is like what happens when I mix the ingredients of cookies and expose them to heat in the oven. Students who love music sometimes discover that music and math are inherently tied together because music is based on mathematical rhythms, and that makes math less scary for you. Whatever you're working on, see if you can analogize it to something else, because that'll help you remember it and explain it to yourself later. And the way teachers can use this, when you can, give students the chance to find examples in their own experience for what you're talking about. When they give you an example, ask them to explain how it's an example. Ask other students to help the first student they seem to struggle with their explanation. This can create a powerful group learning experience that goes beyond just lecture to deeper understanding of the material. And that's what we want, right? So that's what we have for you in episode 74. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. And we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 75, when we'll talk about how to define what you've learned. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.